0: Hello and welcome to the weekly Eye Catching Words podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've listened before, welcome back. This week's episode covers a magical trip to the magical city of Canterbury, a homage to two unsung heroes, Frank and Lizzie, reflections on climate change inertia, and an insight into the Bruges group of oh so woe is me, white heterosexual males. As usual, these reflections stem from my journal, which is published every day at www.blipphoto.com forward slash eye-catching. But first, just a thank you to the small but select band of people who have dipped into this first two months worth of my podcasting career. Probably a good time to ask why I'm doing it. With an average of 11 listens per episode, I am not making waves in the global podcast community. Compare those figures to the 150 or so views I get every day for my online journal, and it is clear that people are prepared to give up two minutes of their time to listen to my ruminations, but not invest the 15 or 20 minutes that go with listening to a podcast. This is not a criticism. People have busy lives, and many priorities and options to consider. Nonetheless, I shall persist, but now might be a good time to explain why. Firstly, at the age of 64, I want to try something new and I want to try something that teaches me something about myself. There is a certain fascination with setting yourself the task of producing what is in effect a weekly audio magazine. Secondly, it is a good alternative to sinking into the comfy, but life shortening sofa of the third age. Do not go gently into that moribund world of daytime TV have a purpose and put yourself out there. But thirdly and most importantly, I do have an ambition to eventually produce something that does have appeal, that is professional and that I can monetize, not for myself, but for some good causes. I don't need more money, but if I can get this thing off the ground, I may be able to pick a social media pocket or two and donate the proceeds to the food bank movement or someone out there fighting the climate change corner. I've made a thing up to now saying that my USP is that I have no USP. Actually, I take that all back. I've enjoyed covering a wide range of topics, but people want to know what they're following. So give me some feedback and let me know what you think my strengths and weaknesses are. There are some very young podcasters out there. According to an article in the Guardian this week, Are still at primary school. One of them gets a glass of lemonade every time he has a thousand hits. Sounds good to me. Well, I'm at the other end of the age spectrum, and I'm guessing you are too. So tell me if you were to give up 20 minutes a week to listen to something, what would it have to cover? In the meantime, do me a favour share my podcast as widely as you can. I'm fascinated to see what the world at large thinks of my efforts. Now, Let's head to Canterbury. I went to Canterbury again this week, which is probably the seventh or eighth time I've been there in the last two years, since my eldest lad went down there as a mature student. It's a fascinating city with more pubs than you can shake a packet of pork scratchings at. I have a feeling that if the Great British Pub was ever in danger of extinction, Canterbury would be a kind of haven, a last safe place where pubs are preserved, in the hope that one day the DNA can be copied and eventually brought back to life, in the same way that dinosaurs were brought back to life in Jurassic Park. One of them, the unicorn, had a bar billiards table in it, My youthful companions had no idea how to play, and I hadn't been near one in thirty years. But it all came back to me. Instead of side and corner pockets, you have holes and skittles. Get the balls down the holes and you score points. Knock down the skittles and you lose them. The whole thing is made of wood and bays with sliding brass scoreboards. It's the perfect accompaniment to an excellent glass of stout locally brewed. Canterbury's pubs tend to be old, like the city itself. The last one we went in, The Parrot, dated from the 14th century and was quite sedate and off the beaten track. Others in the centre of town are ramshackle affairs that cater mainly for the students. The vibe changes every time you turn a corner in the ancient narrow streets. One minute it feels quite posh with gastro pubs and well-kept Georgian houses. Take a left and there is an edgy student vibe. Take a random turn at a junction and it's all boho with shops selling hippie skirts and bearded tattooed men with the bow legs of a leathered motorcyclist. An alleyway can lead to somewhere suddenly silent and eerie. With door knockers that look like they would do a marley and come to life in your hand and windows that lean out into the street and try to push you off the pavement. And then another pub appears, Harry Potter-like, that you could swear wasn't there a minute ago. But in truth, you just missed its narrow frontage and discreet appearance. There is a grimy side as well, coexisting with the charm and the medieval history oozing out of the brickwork. A visitor from the 11th or 12th century would not be surprised to find that a place that has riches has people, and a place that has people has dog dogshit and occasionally a downtrodden face and even a homeless doorway of despair. But overall, the atmosphere is one of ancient charm. After dark on a freezing cold January night, when the pubs and restaurants are glowing yellow and amber and the streets are so quiet you can hear the footfall and the quiet voices of other pedestrians. It could even be described as magical. Not the magic of Hogwarts and certainly not the spells cast by religion. Something deeper, older and more fundamental. The magic of ordinary people making a bulwark against the weather and welcoming each other into their homes and inns. The magic of that basic human capacity for people to offer each other protection and sustenance. Something a good British pub does so well. I'm not romanticising here. It's more a case of tapping into ancient tradition. Go all the way back to Beowulf, and imagine the cups of ale being passed from mouth to mouth by the flickering fire of a great hall, signifying that when it comes to surviving the monsters in this world, we'd best connect. For soon, we're dead. In Yorkshire, there is a retired couple called Frank and Lizzie who live with their dog, Bella. I have never met them. We have never spoken. But we know a lot about each other's lives and communicate most days of the week through an online community called Blip Photo. It is probably one of the most supportive and nurturing places on the internet. Non-commercial, community-funded and managed and free of advertising, it is ostensibly a photo-sharing site where people post a picture every day. In reality, it is a window on the worlds of others. I know a retired policewoman in Washington, a former RAF pilot somewhere in England, a global aid worker in Baltimore, an artist in New Zealand, an insurance salesman in the Midlands and a masseuse in Edinburgh. I have celebrated birthdays, consoled through bereavement, Celebrated triumphs and reassured people through dark days. All that I have given I have received back many times over when I have been through the good and bad things that make up life. It is not for everyone. Gratification is never instant and you have to be in it for the long term. The demographic is generally older people and families but everyone is keen to grow and share. It is generally a community of uber-friendly tortoises who don't mind whether the hare wins or not. It is truly remarkable. Frank and Lizzie took in a Ukrainian refugee couple last year. They have supported them, opened their home to them and helped them and have generally been amazing human beings. Last week, they helped them to move into their own home hiring a van and arranging furniture. This is an example of one of the quiet acts of heroism which ordinary people everywhere perform regularly, but which rarely get rewarded with medals and prizes and media headlines. These are the things and people that give me faith and hope in a world full of selfish Prince Harry's, warmongering Vladimir Putins, egotistical Donald Trumps, out-for-themselves Tories and self-publicising celebrities. But I only know about Frank and Lizzie and many others like them because I've made a conscious choice to join and stay with the things that represent real values. I don't do Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. They have their place, I know, but you won't get any depth in a world where it is about the next funny or fashionable or angry thing to say that only lasts for a minute. To all the Frank and Lizzie's out there, thank you. It is your example I admire and your way of living that keeps me going. You inspire me. Dr. Strangelove and the Helium Balloon If you've ever seen the movie Dr. Strangelove, you'll know that the final path to Armageddon is decided by a group of shadowy figures in a bunker with dirty secrets, strange ideas and rampant libidos, which is no basis for making a decision about the fate of the planet. The last point stems from the decision to create an American Survivor's breeding programme, with a 10 to 1 female to male ratio to repopulate the earth once the radiation has subsided. The inhabitants of the bunker are all men, so of course the scales are tipped in favour of Armageddon. Know any recent presidents who can't keep the snake in the bag and who might vote for that? Climate change today is no different. A group of mostly old men gather periodically to pay lip service to the science, and whilst they don't actively vote in favour of the end of the world, their failure to do anything meaningful about it amounts to the same thing. Meanwhile, the world's population continues to pursue a gleeful path to self-destruction. Despite the rise of the middle-class vegan in developed countries, hugely destructive world meat consumption is in fact going up. The production of meat doubled in the 30 years from 1988 to 2018, and is expected to continue to grow to the point that by 2050, it could be a staggering 570 million tonnes a year, which would be twice as high as in 2008. Go to the World Counts website. They have a meatometer, which makes the point graphically and rapidly. Earlier this week, my neighborhood WhatsApp group had a discussion about the best place to shop for helium balloons the sort you buy for birthdays and other occasions. I was astonished to find that so many people did not realise how environmentally bad they are, both in terms of materials and use of scarce gases. What's more, they're very bad if they escape and get eaten by animals or stuck in trees. But there are thousands of examples of ignorance in a world where it is easy to be educated about environmental matters. Your smartphone will give you most of the answers you need without having to get out of your chair. The fact is, As a species, we just can't control ourselves. This may be controversial, but in my view, the only answer to humanity's ignorance and denial is to make this a fundamental political issue, like slavery once was in America, or votes for women were in Britain at the beginning of the 20th century, or indeed as wartime survival once was in the 1940s. And that does mean disruption, of the kind that Insulate Britain and Extinction Rebellion are advocating and effecting. But I think it goes further than that. In democracies, we tend towards tolerance, and when it comes to conflict, we shy away from confrontation. I have many good friends, and I mean good in the sense that they're fundamentally good people as well as good friends, who I see socially, who would balk at limits on their travelling, their eating habits, their consumption. For my part, I would see whole swathes of products banned, including helium balloons. We've done it with plastic straws and single-use cutlery, but those are just sops. I would see leisure mileage in petrol cars rationed. I would see the number of flying miles you're allowed to make every year controlled. I would tax meat consumption in the same way that we've taxed cigarettes. I would tax billionaires and make private yachts and executive jets illegal. I would issue everyone with clothes ration coupons so that they couldn't have wardrobes stuffed with the latest stuff at the expense of the planet. None of this is going to happen, of course. There is no political will. One day we will realise too late that we have missed our opportunity. The future is undoubtedly dystopian, which is a great shame. All I can suggest is that if you have young children or grandchildren, you need to prepare them for it. But I just need to say, if the issue of the environment does end up in open warfare, you will find me self-righteously on the green side of the barricade, with my old clothes on my back, my vegan burger in my hand, my manifesto written on my T-shirt, and the keys to my electric car in my pocket. Book Review. Moralitis, a cultural virus. Two leading lights in the right-wing Bruges group try to convince us that there is a nasty disease out there which will kill all white heterosexual males if left unchecked. I tried to read this book with an open mind, but the sheer number of contradictions, the mad frothing narrative, the selective arguments and the absurd metaphor of woke thinking as a pathogen made it impossible to take seriously. There is some truth in the arguments about middle-class thinking being at odds with working-class experience, but the authors are just recycling old prejudices and overegging the extent of the problem and reinforcing myths of the intellectual elite. There are ridiculous examples of political correctness in the world, but there are far more daily experiences of ordinary people being subjected to abuse because of their color, sex, or some other characteristic. There is the inevitable spiteful narrative about Remainers, Ramoners and Rejoinees, but the fact is, we left the EU. The authors of this book are pouting their invective at an issue that is over and done with. We left. Personally, I don't like it, but these people need to get over the fact that not everyone agreed with them in that leaving process. 48% 48% of us, in fact. But let's talk about the authors. Robert Alds, as well as being director of the Bruges Group, is a Chiswick counsellor who has been pictured posing with a range of weapons, including an AK-47 and a hunting knife. When this happened, the images, which were taken on his camera phone and later published on the internet, caused him to be dropped by his local Tory party from the list of prospective MP candidates. His co-author, Niall McRae, was investigated by his employer, King's College Hospital, after he was filmed verbally abusing a Remainer at a rally and waving a Union Jack at him. There is a very interesting YouTube video of the two of them interviewing each other two years on from the EU referendum. As well as being incredibly turgid, it also includes hints of public disorder if the Brexiteers don't get their way. Actually, this video is a little reassuring, as it is difficult to imagine two such boring people ever being able to galvanise enough people to support them in their outlandish fantasies. And the book, badly written. It sets out a very clear 12-point action plan which covers all the familiar Bruges group tropes, including attacking the BBC, inspecting universities for wokeism and repealing the Equality Act. It even makes a plea for something called a woke finder general, which sounds like the kind of witch hunt they've been criticising. It also includes several sideswipes at Greta Thunberg who I'm sure would be very amused at their attention and would know exactly how to put them in their place. Oh, did I mention that they are also climate change deniers? How remiss of me. Instead of worrying about a few instances of over-enthusiastic political correctness in our society, we should worry more about people like this whose only interest is in bringing back a Britain and a British Empire that never existed as they would have us believe, and using hate, not clear thinking, to satisfy their need to fulminate about perceived wrongs. Like the Bruges group itself, these people would be laughable, but for the fact that they are marginally dangerous.